Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the See It To Be It podcast. I am your host, Melinda Garvey. And as always, I am so excited to bring you yet another incredible, relatable role model. And this week is no different. I'm really actually excited about this person and this topic. Her name is Bonnie Marcus. And she is a coach and has had a really amazing career, but she also just wrote a book And we're going to dive in and talk about that. And especially if you're in the over 50 category or getting near there, you'll want to make sure to listen up and pass it along to friends. So welcome, Bonnie. Really great to see you here today. Oh, thanks, Melinda. I loved when this book kind of came across my email. I was like, gosh, you know, that just really, really resonated with me. So I'm super excited to kind of jump in. But of course, you weren't always over 50. You were growing up and you had a big dream. So I love to just go way back. And like, what did you think you were going to be doing when you grew up? And what did your path end up looking like? Wow, great question, Melinda, because I don't think anybody's asked me that. If I go all the way back, my big dream was to be a ballerina. Ah. I took ballet lessons from the time I was four And I was so obsessed with it at an early age. I ended up taking dance probably three times a week. Luckily, my parents indulged me, but I absolutely loved it. And it wasn't until maybe I was maybe 13, around that age, that people started to tell me that that dream was never going to work out. They just squashed it. They said, first of all, you're not built like a ballerina. You know, I'm five feet tall. And I'm never going to make it as a ballerina and that it's a tough life and I'm never going to make any money at it anyway. Not that I cared at 13, but it just squashed my ambition to be a ballerina. But I have to say, I still dance even now. (laughs) I do Zumba. I belong to a dance group here in Santa Barbara and I love it. So. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you continue that. And it's so funny. It brings me back when you were saying that. I just had this memory. I took ballet lessons when I was little as well. And I had this ballet teacher who was a man and he was mean. And he told me, I'm also five foot. And not only did he tell me I was too short, but he told my mother that my thighs were much too big to be a ballerina. Right? I mean, I'm like, really? So you know what I did? I became a gymnast instead. And you know what? Gymnasts, they celebrate big thighs. So there you go. There you go. I love that. (laughs) Turn it into lemonade, right? Oh my gosh. That is really great. So let's talk a little bit about your career trajectory and when you ended up starting your own company and sort of what that was all about, particularly your coaching practice. Yeah, well, the career started in education. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. What most people don't know about me is I was a kindergarten teacher until I got a divorce and had two young children, and that was not going to pay the bills. And I answered an ad in the paper at the time for medical secretary because I wanted a nine to five job. And they brought me in and told me I was too qualified and, you know, they weren't going to invest in training me or anything. But two weeks later, they called me and they said, we're starting this joint venture with the healthcare management company to open up a cardiac rehab center with 30 docs. They're looking for an administrator. Are you interested in 
interviewing? And I said, yeah, I had no qualifications whatsoever. (laughs) I mean, I was a kindergarten teacher and I was teaching aerobics, honestly. But they gave me the job and they trained me. And then in a year and a half, I was running 11 centers for them up and down the East Coast. And that was my entree into business. And I did make it up to the C-suite. It wasn't a direct climb. And there were some missteps and there were some lateral moves and whatever. But I left the corporate arena in 2007. I went back and I got certified to be an executive coach. And I knew that I had to focus on helping professional women advance their careers because in my corporate career, I saw so many talented women being passed over because they were invisible. They didn't know how to advocate for themselves. And I said, this is really where I need to focus and and help women get the promotions and acknowledgement that they deserve. So I started my coaching practice in 2007 with that mission in mind. It's a great mission. What I love about your background is that you could very easily, as a kindergarten teacher and an aerobics instructor, not have felt, like you said, I wasn't qualified. But most of the time, women then don't say yes. They have to have all the qualifications in order to even apply for the job. I mean, I really want to emphasize I was barely balancing my checkbook at the time, so I couldn't even fake it. But I think I impressed upon them that I was enthusiastic and I was willing to learn. And they gave me that chance, which I learned business by doing it. That's right. I just think that sometimes we think, oh, well, I have to have a degree and have to studied it and been Mm -hmm. on that path or I can't get on it. But I think you've just shown that, no, you can pick whatever path you want, whatever you're passionate about and make that happen. I mean, it wasn't ever my ambition to run a national company. I just said yes to a lot of opportunities that came along. I guess that's the lesson. So what are you hearing in your practice? I mean, we're sort of getting, I mean, I I was about to say post-COVID, but I guess we're in it a little bit. What kinds of challenges are you hearing from women as they're sort of navigating this and going back? I mean, is it burnout? I mean, we hear about women leaving the workforce in droves, you know, what kinds of things are you hearing? Well, first of all, I'm hearing that many women are leaving. Sometimes it's not on their own accord, right? Mm -hmm. So especially women over 50 who either are forced to retire early or, you know, yeah, pushed out for some reason, it's so much harder to get rehired. So I'm hearing that a lot. I'm hearing that, I think the research shows that if you're 50 to 60, 18% less chance of getting rehired than somebody in their 30s. If you're over 60, it jumps up to 50%. And so, you know, and I interviewed a lot of women for this book and found that they were repeatedly told they were overqualified, that it's a youth culture. I mean, what the heck does that mean? Mm-hmm. It means you're too old. Overqualified um, has become the euphemism for you're too old. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I hear not only frustration of women who are trying to balance all their family responsibilities with work and working remotely, but I think women, you know, they've got that down pat. I'm not saying that everyone, but we've learned a lot about how to be productive and manage these things. Yes, has it led to burnout? Absolutely. Um, Now, a lot of women are facing a choice because their companies are saying, 
do you want to come in to work or do you want to work remotely? And that presents new challenges for women, especially women who want to work remotely. How do you advance your career, stay visible, influence when you're at home and other people are in the office? Mm, you are speaking my language. I talk about this in a technology way. Part of the technology behind what I'm doing is trying to, to figure that out for people. So let's dive a little bit into your book, you know, because I think that you give a lot of really good advice. So tell me first just about why you decided to write this book. What was the impetus? A few years ago, I was coaching a 58-year-old female attorney in a large tech firm, Silicon Valley, eight people on the legal team in this organization. And she was the oldest. I mean, she wasn't always the oldest, but now she was the oldest. And she started to recognize that things were changing, that her younger colleagues were invited to some meetings and she wasn't. Nobody was asking her opinion anymore. And what really scared her was when her workload was being redistributed and the idea that her portfolio would be smaller than everybody else's made her feel extremely vulnerable to being pushed out. And I said to myself, this can't be an isolated incident. This has to be something going on, not just in tech even, but with women in the over 50 age bracket. And of course, it even starts younger than that. Started to do a lot of research. Melinda, it's still under the radar. There aren't a lot of companies that address ageism and especially the intersection of gender and ageism in their DEI initiatives if they have them. And a lot of this discrimination goes on and the policies and workplace practices aren't changed at all. Right. No, I can definitely see that. And in fact, interestingly, and this was just, gosh, a week ago on Facebook, there was somebody who posted in group, it's a job group, and it was a woman over 50 and basically posted and said that she'd been having this terrible time finding a job. And she said, I really want some advice from you all. She was asking for feedback from the community and she posted a picture of herself. She said, this is my LinkedIn picture. And she had beautiful silver hair, kind of funky glasses. I mean, I looked at her, I was like, she looks like fun, you know? Right. <laughs> she looked great. My heart, I, as I was reading her post, I was like, gosh, that sucks. I and mean, that really happens. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, you know, certainly faced mm -hmm. my own, but I was like, hmm. And then I started seeing the replies. It was so upsetting to me. I mean, people were kind, but they were basically saying, yeah, you need to color your hair and here's the line you need to do it with and you need to do this. And, and I was kind of blown away and thinking, really? And these were other women. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, I, and I thought to myself, holy smokes, your point is under the radar, you know, and I just was I was blown away. So here are the facts that according to AARP, age discrimination starts even as people are in their 40s. But for women, as we start to show visible signs of aging, we face age discrimination earlier than men because of the emphasis in our society, looks and youth. So it's like the double whammy. You know, our whole careers, we've been suffering from gender bias or pay less, we don't have the same amount of sponsorship opportunities, et cetera. Now that we are showing visible signs of aging, we are viewed as less competent, irrelevant, and invisible. So people don't seek our opinions anymore. It's like we don't have any value anymore. And that's what really got me to write this book because the unlevel playing field is so unfair from day one when we enter the workplace as women. Right. But then 
to be treated as not having any value and potentially incompetent as we start to show signs of aging, that just makes my blood boil. And is that a U.S.-based thing, you think? I mean, no. is it mostly or is it international? It is. There has been studies recently that show where ageism is more prevalent, and it's in societies that are more individualistic, hmm. like the United States. But if you look at other cultures like Korea and Japan, there's less ageism. <laughs> and Very in certain parts of the United States, by the way, ageism is more prevalent than in other parts of the United States. For instance, in Florida, where you may find more retired people, it's more prevalent. In the Northeast, it's more prevalent. Interesting. Okay. So we know the facts now. We know that it happens. I mean, as we age, we're going to look older, we're going to get wrinkles, we're going to have gray hair, whatever that may be. So what do you recommend to women? What's your advice? I mean, do you know, as these women in this post I was telling you about, they were saying, yes, color your hair. Yes, do this. Yes, get Botox, you know, whatever that may be. What do you tell people? Because at the end of the day, we have to deal with the cards we're given, right? I mean, it, it's terrible, but what do we do? I'm non-judgmental about changing your appearance. If you feel that's important, I'm, I mean, I interviewed so many women, one who was in commercial real estate who said, I just had eye lift surgery because I know, and she was like early 60s, it's going to buy me another 10 years in this industry. I've had women, international coach Lois Frankel, who's, you know, nice girls don't get the corner office. I mean, she was turned down for a job because her hair was white after chemotherapy. And she was told it's a youth culture, Lois. That's why you didn't get the job. So, I mean, if you want to dye your hair, if you feel that's important, Absolutely. But that is only one part of the equation anyway. And you really have to understand the value that you bring to your workplace, how your work affects positive business outcomes. You need to own your experience. You need to own the power of your age and not pull yourself out of the arena and the competition. It's one thing for people to not approach you anymore, but it's another if you pull yourself back Right. Or hesitate to raise your hand and offer opinions and you make yourself invisible. Mm -hmm. That's not going to work. And the first section of the book is really it's called fears, assumptions and all the crap about aging that holds you back because we have internalized yeah. a lot of these ages, beliefs and stereotypes. And if we believe we're too old to get promoted, if we believe we're too old to get a raise, then we're not going to do the kinds of things we need to do for that to happen. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I yes. think, you know, that's the first place we need to start is what are some of the things that you believe where you hold yourself back? And then, of course, I offer a lot of specific advice on how to be visible, how to advocate for yourself, how to build a cross-generational network, how to cultivate your growth mindset, what are some things you can do to stay marketable, which is all career advice we should be doing our entire careers. That's right. But my point is that you need to be <laughs> proactive because as you do show signs of aging, you're more vulnerable to being marginalized and potentially pushed out. Right. As you were describing your book, I love that you've sort of put it in three parts and, you know, how you've structured it. And in the second and third part, I pulled out some things like my two favorites in section two, like where you really start giving advice are, you know, build the workplace relationships that count. And then the second one is maintain and grow your external network. And I've always had this belief, as you just said, about you've constantly got to be building your networks and sharing your networks. 
And I think that sometimes women come from a place of scarcity, right? Where, you know, oh, if I introduce, you know, Bonnie to this person, then that might take away my, like, we've got to share our networks and build our networks. The old boys network was built on that. And I think that women, we could change things as quickly as, you know, turning on a light if we would just build those networks. So I love that you talk about those things and how important those things are. Yeah, you know, especially stress it in my first book, The Politics of Promotion, about networking. It's really a part of your job. I mean, we think it's kind of a nice to do thing and we don't give it a lot of time and energy as women. And we need to devote much more time and focus and intention to it. Yes, absolutely. In the third part, your third section my favorite was time with girlfriends because people are always like, oh my gosh, you're doing this. And I have a wonderful husband who's totally supportive. Like he gets that I am fed and he understands we have a much better marriage because I've got my girlfriends. <laughs> so, but I love the research. I didn't know there was research out There's there. There's research on it. Yeah. Research saying you should see your girlfriends twice a week. I'm like, oh man, you think I'm not going to use that. <laughs> and you're happier. Yeah. Which is wonderful. So talk to us a little bit about sort of your experience and the power of girlfriends, because I do talk to a lot of women who feel like they don't really have that. You know, they've been busy raising their kids and having their careers and they don't have sort of those strong relationships. I think we get distracted a lot. That's what I mean. It sometimes takes focus and intention. I recently moved to California and in a way had to start my whole social circles like all over again. And of course, I had to remind myself that, I mean, my family's here, but girlfriends are my primary source of energy and support. And so, you know, I found a local dance group to start off with. So like-minded women. But I mean, even if it's not something that you do in person, you can join book clubs and virtual book clubs with like-minded women. There's so many organizations like Next Tribe, which mm -hmm, yes. you're often like the Covey Club, like Hello Revel. I mean, there's so many of these organizations now that bring women together who have a lot in common, you know, whether they're over 40 or over 50, and you're constantly learning from each other. And you also get that kind of support. Some of these groups, you know, have retreats. I know Covey Club does, and mm -hmm. I, I know Next Tribe does as well, where you actually can, you know, meet women in person all, from all over the country, which is kind of a cool We can experience. now. Yeah, exactly. We can now. Yeah. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Uh -huh. um, yes, very true. So there's one other piece in here that I'd love for you to chat a little bit about. And the interesting thing is I used to actually give this advice to my younger employees because, you know, I was bringing up the millennials and I was always sort of mind boggled that half the time, like the hair wasn't combed, you know, because I'm still on that. So you dress for work and it makes you feel good. And I love this section because when you the dress the part. Yeah, well, Zumba, absolutely. But I talk in the book about how some days I only see the checkout person at Trader Joe's. Yeah. <laughs> but I still want to look good. I mean, I don't overdo it with the makeup or anything, but just a little bit to make me feel I'm looking my best that day. And so the advice to other women, when you talk about dressing the part, you know, why do you think that piece of advice is, is important to women and to understand? Well, I think that we get caught up in ruts. We do our hair the same way for decades. We do our makeup the same way for decades. We probably have clothes. I know I'm guilty of this. 
that I've worn decades ago and we need to freshen our style, mm-hmm. you know, and it does keep us youthful to try some new things, to really look at our wardrobe. I mean, there's so many places where you can have makeup do-overs and stuff, and you'd be surprised like how just maybe changing your lipstick color or whatever will brighten you. I think we get stuck in our comfort zone Mm -hmm. and we don't pay much attention to not necessarily what's trendy, but what can put us forward in our best way. It affects our confidence. It does. And I find that with me, and I'm not someone who lacks self-confidence and never have, but I just feel better. I feel like I'm more my game, you know, when I get my game face on, right? You yeah. Do, yeah. Do that. No, I think that's great, great advice. So as we close up here, what would you say, is there a piece of advice that you were given over the years or that you sort of always give out, you live by sort of that one nugget of what would you say to women, especially women over 50? That your mindset is really, really important. And we need to kind of check in and figure out what that is. This is true no matter what your age is, but if you are negative and feel like a victim or the world is against you, you know, not only are you not going to be happy, but all this stuff becomes self-fulfilling prophecies. And my mindset has always been the glasses half full, choose joy, be positive, all that stuff that I write about in the third section of my book. I live that. And I think it makes me happier. It makes me healthier and certainly more energetic every single day. Yes. I do think that, I know I can't remember what section you said this, but it resonated with me that as we get older, the beauty of it is we can have more choice and we do decide, you know, we feel more empowered to do that. And we just have to keep expanding on that. Like I love the choose joy. I love the meditate, you know, really being present you talk about. And, you know, all of these things, they're really, really powerful and especially more powerful as you get older, because, you know, there's one section of the book where I ask the reader to write the current story they tell themselves about themselves. Mm. And sometimes that requires a little glass of wine or putting your feet (laughs) up because, you know, we like to think of ourselves, maybe not in a totally realistic way, but what really is the story that you tell yourself about yourself? Yeah. And once you write that down and take a look at it, if you're being real about it, Mm -hmm. it may really surprise you that that story doesn't really support you, doesn't support your well-being, doesn't support your career. And that gives you an opportunity and a choice to rewrite that story rather than going down the other rabbit hole. That's right. We always have that opportunity. Well, Bonnie, thank you so much for just sharing your wisdom. And I'm sure your book is available on Amazon, probably. or All book outlets, yep. Okay, all book outlets. And it is called Not Done Yet in big, bold letters. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. That's right. And how women over 50 regain their confidence and claim workplace power. So I just encourage all of you. I really, really enjoyed going through. There's so many great nuggets in there. And um, I think that everyone will find lots of pieces of advice and encouragement in the book. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for having that passion and for doing that. Thank you for reading it. And thank you for your great questions. I love the conversation. Absolutely. Where can people find you if they want to find more about you or your coaching? My website is bonniemarcusleadership.com. 
And all the information about my podcast, Badass Women at Any Age, is on there, as well as any articles I've written or podcasts that I've been on. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. We certainly will be watching to see what you do next, because I have a feeling you got a lot more in you. I'm not done yet. (laughs) You're not done yet. (laughs) Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week. And check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.